Hello and welcome to the Sober Bartender Podcast, the show where we recover from life. I'm your host, Brandi Kelly. Today, I have a guest for you, which hasn't happened in a long time, so super excited to have Derek Janiszewski here. He is the founder and lead pastor at Pachamama Sanctuary. Welcome, Derek. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes. So I'm super excited to have you here. Derek, you're also in recovery. I am. Not just from substances, but likely from life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm recovery from myself. Perfect. (laughs) I met a gal and she said that um, I had her on the show and she said, I'm not recovering from life because life is just fine the way it is. I'm really recovering from my separation from God. Yeah. You identify with that? For sure. In certain, it's in certain aspects. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you are the founder and the lead pastor of this sanctuary. And I've done a little research, like I've just read up what I could, but Tell us what what it is and what you do. Yeah. So Pachamama Sanctuary is an ayahuasca church. Ayahuasca is a plant medicine that it comes from brewing two plants together from South America. They've been using it for thousands of years. Uh, and when it's brewed together in a very specific way, it creates a mystical spiritual experience. And it allows us to go very deep into our subconscious mind uh, in an emotional way instead of a logical way. So some of the ego that's created, um, that creates blockages in our subconscious mind, it's not there because that part of our ego kind of gets dissolved to a point. And so we host uh, weekend retreats and we have all kinds of inner work going on, lots of tears and laughter and purging of energies and um, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I don't serve medicine. I bring in shamans for that. Uh, I do all of the other stuff, you know, support people emotionally and, um, and uh, you know, help with their aftercare and all that. That's amazing. I definitely have heard about ayahuasca for years, uh, been curious for years, um, but not enough to actually take the dive. So I was super excited just to get together with you and, uh, and hear about what you guys are doing. You're, you're in Maine, right? Right. Yeah, we're just outside of Portland. So um, I feel like you don't become you don't become a founder and a lead pastor uh, just out of the blue. So what uh, what where did you first come? I guess in contact with the medicine, and then how did this unfold for you to uh, start this journey? Yeah. Well. So I came to the medicine in 2017. I started sitting at a place called Soul Quest down in Orlando, Florida. And I went there because I was having a really hard time after three years in and out of the rooms of 12 step programs and not really getting any relief. As a matter of fact, every time I went to a meeting, I felt worse and like I was worse white knuckling when I left. Um, and I really couldn't put together very much uh, sober time. I was disappointing everybody, hurting everybody around me. Um, and I was desperate. So I went and sat with the medicine down in uh, down in Florida, in Orlando. I was about an hour and a half from my house. It worked out real well. Uh, from there, I uh, I got relief, like total relief for about 45 days. Um, it didn't last so I went back and got the same kind of uh, effect. The third time I went back, I just decided to not leave. <laughs> I just I just volunteered for a good year. I was doing a lot of you know washing out purge buckets, and um, uh, you know after a year of that, um, the church took a vacation, and I was left without my um program of sobriety if you want to call it that my uh, support system so i relapsed and they fired me and they did the right thing how they fired me ah, i i i wish it could have been different but maybe it was i mean everything's perfect you know but um you know i i would have liked it to be a little bit a little bit different but um you know it is with the way that it was and so after that um some op- an opportunity was was given to me to organize a retreat up in 
New Hampshire by somebody who I had met at my very first ayahuasca retreat. And um, I resisted for a little while. And eventually I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll organize your retreat. I'll do one. And um, one led to two, led to four, led to moving to New Hampshire from Florida. And one thing led to another. And over the course of this time, you know, I sat with the medicine a whole bunch over a, a long period of time. Um, and it, it grew so fast and so big um, that it actually uh, crushed me uh, psychologically, emotionally, energetically. I had, I had nothing left. I was so, and my cup was so incredibly empty that I relapsed again. That was in um, December of 21. Uh, and then um, I white knuckled for a little while, um, had a couple of other relapses until my mom died in June of uh, 22 and uh, June of 20. Was that right? Yeah. June of 22. Um, I went on a hard spiral. Um, you know, it was very, very, um, off the rails, uh, checked into rehab in September of 22 and, um, did three months and then moved into sober living. And that entire time I was, um, working heavily on my sobriety and then all of a sudden people just came sort of coming forward and saying, you know, how can we help? We need to get the sanctuary back open. Um, so I, I put in place a, a large group of support, uh, for all these different things because I, I, um, I need to focus on my sobriety. You know, I need to focus on my sobriety until at least I get through to like, you know, the ninth step or something so that I can, so I can be very, very balanced. And, and, um, and so these people like, came together and they're volunteering and they're putting in tons of hours and they're not getting paid and, and, um, and they're just supporting the sanctuary so that like I can continue my spirit, my, my, uh, sobriety journey and also still continue to just like show up in the parts that I can, I can give. Um, and, and it just like God's magic, you know, God's grace, just all of a sudden here we have this beautiful place in, in Maine and, and a great group of people um, and so, you know, how did I get here? You know, crawling over broken glass through the gates of hell to get here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's how I got here. Yeah. I totally, I totally get that. Like it doesn't, we don't ever go to like the extremes to take back our life unless we've been to the absolute depths of our despair. So, um, you entered recovery in 2017. I entered recovery in 2014. 2014. But my question was more so, like, was this just like an, an adulthood, like, addiction thing? Or did this stem, like, from the beginning as most of ours do? Oh, so um, I didn't start drinking until I got to college. Um, I I smoked a little bit of pot in high school. I drank a, a little bit, um, but I didn't actually start like drinking and smoking and taking psychedelics until, uh, until I got to college. Uh, then I moved to, I flunked out in a year. Like it took me straight to, to you know, down. And then um, I went down to Florida, not really realizing that there was something wrong with me at that point. I can look back and see it, you know? Um, but uh, that's where I was introduced to um, some of the dry goods. And, um, I had a little taste of that and jumped out of it before it got bad. Um, got married, had kids, and it was a alcoholic uh, marriage. You know, we would drink on the weekends, though we wouldn't drink during the week. We would we saved the week. The weekdays were for for pot, and the weekends were 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 for for heavy drinking. Balance. Um, yeah, right. Balance. <laughs> um, it when when I look back, when I think that my my disease really started to develop heavily was um around the age of 29 i became obs very obsessive with a lot of things all at once buying houses um so about 12 of them in a year to rent them out um playing poker i was uh running two poker games and playing poker professionally uh flying back and forth to las vegas um and uh building a home-based business like a, an amway type business um, and so I was in the office for about 80 to 90 hours a week. And then I was running two all night poker games, um, 
And so I was completely obsessed with like all of that. Right. And I was also fixing up the apartments and collecting rents and, and, um, completely disconnected from my family, you know, but my obsessions were, were like extreme. And so I had three computers set up at the same time. I had one that had, uh, I had two that had, um, uh, eight, like four hands of poker on each, on each screen. So I was playing eight hands of poker at the same time that I was playing a video game. And then I had a list of calls in front of me for my, for my business. So at all times I was playing a video game, eight hands of poker and making phone calls for like 10 to 12 hours uh, a day, you know? And, um, and then once I stopped being able to make calls, which happened at midnight because I could call up until nine o'clock West coast time, then I would usually play video games or play poker until two or three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Um, that was when the disconnected from anything internal. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that's when the obsession, like, Oh, I can see where it went. It like really leveled up. Uh, and so of course the marriage dissolved, um, you know, it looked like, you know, her going out drinking with her friends and toxic arguments, but like, it was really that, you know what I mean? I, like my, my obsessive, my obsession really dissolved the marriage. Um, and then, uh, you know, so I moved out and that's when a friend of mine came and dropped a big bag of dry goods on the table and said, this will make you feel better. And that started a, about a 15 year run with, um, mostly cocaine. I've been that friend before, unfortunately. So I get it. You use the tools that you think are helping you to help your friends in need and then drag them down with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. That's intense. It got very and intense. I, I totally relate to just that doing all of the things, but nothing, there's nothing internal. Like there's no connection there. It's all disconnection. It's all external. That, that, that makes a lot of sense of why, uh, like running a sanctuary or being involved, like doing your initial service at the sanctuary made so much sense because it was the complete opposite to where you could just immerse yourself in connection. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. It was, it was so, um, refreshing to be able to connect with, uh, with other human beings and be learning and figuring things out again you know, from being devoid of any connection with the outside world to being saturated by it. Once I got to the sanctuary, it was, um, it became a new, it became a crutch, you know, while it was very positive and healthy in many ways. Um, just like any good alcoholic, I, uh, turned something good against me, you know, because although it's probably, I mean, I can see the benefits in other people. It gets this amazing thing for you. It's not necessarily a replacement for recovery for like, because the 12 steps saved my life. And now I've gone in different directions, but at the core of my recovery is the steps. It's Mm -hmm. that foundation that was laid that I had to rebuild my life on top of and nothing else necessarily could replace that. Absolutely. I was, like I said earlier, I was, I was using uh, volunteering and working at the church as a crutch, right? I was using it to keep me sober. And so if you take that away, what did I have? I had a distraction, you know, now I want to separate that from drinking the medicine. The medicine was very good for me. It helped me learn who I am. It actually helped me so much with my four step because I can, be extremely honest because I can be honest with myself because I can see all these things because I've seen it in the medicine and I'm no longer afraid of saying, yeah, I was selfish about this or I lied about that. Um, it, the, like the self, um, awareness that comes with sitting with medicine is extreme. It's extreme, you know? Um, so I want to separate the medicine work from mm-hmm. the volunteering work, the volunteering work and the working at the church was what I was using as a crutch and abusing. That makes you know, sense. Um, they are different. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I just know that initially when I first got sober, I just was looking for any and all activities 
outside of myself. So I just identified with that whole just diving headfirst into anything I could do besides sit with me. But the medicine aspect, so you said it actually removes those blockages to where you're not afraid to see those things. It actually opens up the door to them, right? Because I still have things that show up and I'm like, oh, that did happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's less about, you know, being afraid, but it's more about avoiding, right? So the ego like says, oh, you know, you know, it says in the book, um, pride says you don't need to go that way. And uh, ego says you dare not go that way or whatever. Like, I don't know if that's the exact quote, but it's something like that, right? Um, it takes the ability away. It take it takes the, um, takes our ability to not look in the mirror away from us. You know, we are forced to look at it, whether we're afraid to or not. We don't have a choice. You, you look it like it, like, it like puts you in a place where you have to look right in the mirror. I think maybe that's why I haven't gone yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah I, I see the ego is this uh, sort of living alive, uh, you know, being. And um, when you see it, it dies. And so it wants to do everything that it can to hide from sight. You know, it's going to, a new, a new ego is going to, you know, create itself because we can't live without ego, but, but parts of the ego that are, that are not really, um, you know, effective parts of our, of ourselves, uh, you know, they don't want to be seen because they'll die. And, and it wants to live just like any other living being. So something that I'm curious about, you said that like, basically, as soon as you started, like you didn't drink. So it wasn't like you, like I started drinking when I was eight. I mean, not regularly, but you know, I started partying at 12, but you really didn't. It's not like you grew up drinking and partying, but once you did, it was there. So can you... Tell me what you've discovered about that. Like, would you say that's, you know, it's a childhood abuse? Is there trauma? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I was a social drinker. Um, although once I progressed, the drinking brought, brings me straight to cocaine. That's, that's the thing that, that, that's, that's my, that's like, that's the thing that'll kill me. Right. So the first drink will kill me because, well, I'll go out and, you know, like kill myself with, with, with dry goods. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was, I'm a, I'm a survivor of tremendous childhood abuse. I, you know, I was born, my dad didn't even show up to, to, to the hospital. Um, I, uh, you know, my mom, my dad pretty much abandoned me until high school. And even then when I moved in with him after he got, after he stopped drinking, uh, I would say got sober, but I'm not so sure he got sober. He just stopped drinking and went to AA. Um, I see a big difference in that. Uh, you know, so he just wasn't around. And that was really looking back and doing all this work. I'm realizing how much pain that caused me. Um, and my mom would leave me at home while she was at the bar all the time from the age of like four or five. Um, and she'd be out until like two o'clock in the morning. Um, and when she was home, she was either, at a party or she was alone and belligerent drunk and whipping up on me or um you know sometimes she got a babysitter and you know the babysitter was raping me and um you know that 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 all went on for about five years into from like five to ten and then i moved to florida and the same thing happened again new babysitter same result um you know she would be gone um and, and these are really rough neighborhoods uh spring west springfield like the hard part of west west springfield and some of the most dangerous parts of uh jacksonville florida like really really dangerous parts so um you know it it's uh um so between the neglect uh or the abandonment from my father and um you know my mom you know, I think that I got, I think that I was traumatized less about my mother because even though she appeared to hate me, at least she had feelings about me. My father just doesn't actually care whether he has a relationship with me. And I'm 47. He still doesn't, you know? Um, and, uh, and so, you know, growing up, 
uh, getting beat up by the people around me because like by my, by my peers, because I didn't fit in West Springfield. I was the only white kid. I didn't feel in, fit in Jackson. I was the only white kid. I didn't feel fit in a pot of Vidra. I was really poor and those were all rich kids. I didn't fit in New Freeport, Massachusetts because I was like the new kid and they were all like, they all grew up together. Um, and so, uh, you know, it just, um, the isolation, you know, the isolation, the lack of ability to connect with another human being, um, made the alcohol and the social drinking great. Um, it made me be able to, you know, communicate better. Uh, but it wasn't until the cocaine came into the picture that I actually felt good. I didn't realize I always felt awful. So I was sort of numb to that awful feeling until eventually once I took something that like made me feel good, that gave me a dopamine rush, like that I got to feel like things that are sort of in the neighborhood of joy and elation and, and, um, pride and, 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 you know, whatever, um, you know, that's, that's what I had been missing my whole life. And as soon as I felt that I couldn't get enough. Yeah. Yeah. And then the idea of not having those things, is unfathomable right Mm -hmm. yeah yeah because like when i felt horrible but i didn't know it which was numb which was baseline to me and then i felt great because of you know getting high as soon as i came back to normal now i knew that felt awful and i had to have more right now and i emptied bank accounts i sold houses um you know i went from owning 12 houses to couch surfing and trap houses within like two years Yeah. I did some couch surfing. I sold some houses, but not 12. Like that's, that's intense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I mean, I had everything that I could want. I had like plenty of money. It, it all went to zero. You know, it went to be below zero, obviously. I mean, you know, yeah. You know, it goes. <laughs> and none of those external things actually did the trick. So when you, no. so when you finally did find something that worked, so did, did the medicine like become an initial relief to where like some of that, you know, once you took all the substances out and you're, you know, you are, you're getting sober and then you're taking the medicine, like what effect does that have on, um, on the trauma and on the abuse? Is there any, uh, yeah, immediately I went from like either having to get high all day or sleeping almost all day, uh, for months and months. And I sat with the medicine once and I well, twice, one weekend, two ceremonies. Mm-hmm. Um, by Monday morning, I was up at the beach with a book in my hand and a coffee and watching the sunrise immediately. And, um, it was like that for about 45 days, about a month and a half. Um, it was instant relief. It was balance. It was, um, hope that life was going to be out of the all right. It was, and, and it gave me like the deep desire to, to, to actually quit. And I couldn't hold on. I had so much trauma in my past that I didn't realize. I thought that like this magical juice was going to fix me. I thought it fixed me. Um, the reality was, is that I wasn't actually doing any of the work, the daily practices, the prayer, the meditation. Um, and I didn't even know what integration was at that point. Integration is the key to, to working with plant medicines. Um, and, uh, and so that's why it came back and I needed a lot more work than, you know, 12 hours of medicine work was going to solve. I, I, I had no idea, you know, um, I mean, I'm still digging out my shadow stuff now, you know. I remember at a low point, um, a friend had gone to Peru and he was gone for 10 days and he took the medicine and he came back. And, you know, I was I wasn't drinking every morning, but I was like, you know, a a maintenance drinker. I was never just like a weekend drinker. I was like, we're going to start as soon as we can start and we're going to go no matter what, what it takes, as long as we can go. 
Um, but when he came back and he was saying, you know, I really think that you should look into this. I really think that this will help you. And so it was planted. It was seed was planted in my head that like that could fix me because I was broken and, you know, X, Y, Z. But um, from what I've just learned from talking to people, like it, like you, you use the word integration, like it's not just that, but it's such a powerful piece that can help just uh, open. I'm trying to think of the, the word just escape me, but just to open you up to be able to do that work. It does. Um, you know, like I said earlier, it's a, it's an emotional journey inside the subconscious mind. These places where we have already created stories that we have set in stone. And that, that disallows us from me being able to see more aspects of it. So me um, doing this work has allowed me to come to grips with the fact that my mom was the product of rape, was beat up by um multiple her boyfriends or her mother's boyfriends and husbands she was uh raped by her um her mother's uh husband twice uh, two different husbands um she was basically latchkey and left alone because her mom was like an alcoholic and would whip up on her and her brother would whip up on her and so you know she had no clue how to be a parent and allowed me to really like look at that resentment on my fourth step and realize she didn't have a choice. She didn't drink because she loved alcohol more than me. She drank because she didn't have a choice, you know, and it was, and it allowed me to see that and actually see that aspect in the medicine before I even wrote it on my fourth step. And, um, you know, those kind of things where we were, where I was blocked from seeing the whole picture, I was just, consumed by self and like victim mentality you know and 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 it allowed for compassion and empathy to enter uh despite how much punishment that she put me through you know and that's so powerful because and you know just a normal person would say well you have every right to be hurt but when we're in that victimhood you know we stay sick we stay so that's that's beautiful and amazing that you were able to see that before you even sat down to do the work because I just, she gave you exactly what she knew how to give, but that was absolutely horrible. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, she didn't have any other, she didn't have, there's, she didn't have any other options. She didn't have any other skill set. You know, she didn't want to treat me that way. She didn't, she didn't, I know she didn't you know. So um, that's what the medicine did for me, but in a whole bunch of different subjects, you know, and, but the, but like seeing that in the medicine and then writing it down, journaling about it, sitting with that emotion, allowing all of the anger and resentment to wash through for the compassion to flush in and then to be able to, you know, actually like say some prayers about it and flip the, flip the script um, then I, then I, cause I mean, you know, you know, as well as I do that, you know, as an alcoholic, I don't have the luxury of justified anger anymore. No, no rationalization or justification. No, no. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. So you were given that gift and now you're able to share that gift with other people with your sanctuary. Yes. So do you, are you able to extend that to people in recovery? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I've offered to sponsor some guys that have come here when I get to that point, when, when my spot, when my sponsor gives me the, the, the go ahead until then I'm turning them over to various people that I trust very much. Uh, but I work with them one-on-one. -on -one. I'll have conversations with them. I, um, and we just had a men's sober weekend here this past weekend. We had nine guys here, like, you know, doing breath work and crying and no medicine, just, you know, sober meetings and stuff like that. Um, I, I obviously have a very, uh, large passion about helping addicts because I am one, you know, and I do have people that are coming. I'm actually developing a, uh, an individual or a, 
a specific program for people in recovery, whether they're trying to get sober or they've been sober for a certain amount of time, um, plugging them in with a recovery coach and an integration coach that's uh, that's, that's trauma-informed, uh, that are both trauma-informed and understanding of the medicine, the integration work, and sobriety, um, putting the two of those together so that so that anybody that comes in can actually get the support they need. And if people are broke because they ran through their bank account and they're at their wit's end and they've gone in and the merry-go-round in and out of the the rooms and they just don't like to just not getting it they've been to rehabs and all of that and they've actually made attempts that they're 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 showing willingness just like there's that blockage and they don't have the money i let them come and sit for either a reduced rate or for free um you know provided they're gonna um, do a couple of things later and it has nothing to do with paying us back or anything like that. It has to do with being service, being of service to their community. Um, you know, we make an agreement that they're going to, they're going to make up the, the energy exchange by being of service to their community back home. Um, because I just want to help, you know, I just want to help, especially addicts. That's, that's huge because there is that, there is that block a lot of times to where there, there are these amazing things that can help us, but there is just that you know, that we destroy our finances in our addiction most of the time. So mm-hmm. the fact that you're developing a, a path for people to still have access to that is, mm-hmm. is amazing. I was curious how that worked. Cause I know I had a sponsor in Vegas that said um, any kind of uh, psychedelic, any kind of plant medicine is a no go for 12 step recovery. Well, um, uh, the AA preamble and the third, uh, tradition say that the only requirement for AA membership is the desire to stop drinking. Yeah. You know, it has no opinion on outside matters. This is an outside matter. This is a spiritual matter and how a person gets to their spirituality is different. Now, I would argue that probably, you know, nobody's gonna, uh, you know, connect with God smoking crack. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's probably not a good spiritual experience, but I think that it is, uh, a separation of, of, of education. And, um, some of that's probably going to come along with the research that's being done by Johns Hopkins and MAPS and these other large, um, organizations that are studying this, uh, because it's not that it doesn't work. I mean, Bill W sat with LSD for like five years. Um, the Bella Dada without white light moment that, that was, um, something similar to ayahuasca. I'm, I'm not so sure it wasn't ayahuasca or, or something similar. Um, you know, they, they, it's shrouded a little bit, I think. And I think that's a good thing. Um, because I don't want people like reading the book and running out to go and like start taking a, a psychedelics early in their recovery. I think that's a really bad idea. I think that it's, it should be very, very specific and selective in a conversation with your, your sponsor. And if you feel extremely called to something like this, then it, you, then it should go the, through the pathway of, of getting the okay from your sponsor. And if you're running into a, a, a you know, a, um, a brick wall in terms of like, you know, getting, getting the okay from your sponsor, then, um, you know, I think that you should look within and understand, uh, you know, why you are trying to push through that brick wall, not like, how do I convince my sponsor to do what I want them to do? Because if you're trusting them with your prior program or recovery, then trust them with your, your program or recovery, you know? Yeah. Yep. And that was the question that I had was, Obviously, this it's not for everyone, but you kind of just gave a great a great explanation of who in recovery it would be for and not for. Yeah, I'm I'm willing to talk to anybody's sponsor because if the education piece is the piece that's missing, um, I'm 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 guessing that like you know 75 year old guys that have 35 years in sobriety are probably not going to co-sign it, but um. But, uh, you know, who knows? I mean, the world, the world is changing and there is, there is, there is, um, you know, pieces that this could be, um, it might be easier to be a consideration if, you know, if you're really having a relapse problem. Yeah. 
I will say I was surprised to find out that you are in 12-step recovery. I guess I just made the assumption that you were delving anew. So it's really neat to hear the integration of recovery and medicine. Um, Because I've talked to people here in Texas that are, you know, they're um, on different boards and pushing for psychedelic-assisted recovery. Not the same thing necessarily, but, you know, just going like the legal way through doctors, through research to see how these things can help the trauma behind the, the chronic relapses and the you know, just the um, the repeated cycle of abuse. Yeah. Um, there's infinite path to the light. Every individual, like, yes, I'm a run-of-the-mill drunk. Also, I have to find my own path to recovery with guidance. So it's a combination of those two things, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, so, you know, each person, you know, there, there's, there's, there's very powerful tools psychedelics are. And there's a lot of um, like solid evidence that these are, you know, legitimately helping people. I mean, there's Ibogaine is another medicine that's I don't understand why this isn't being just used right now while they do that, while they do the testing. It's got a 95 percent cure rate for opiate addiction, permanent cure rate with no withdrawals after one treatment. Like 90 for 95 percent cure rate after one treatment with no withdrawals they don't even have to detox off of this stuff and feel like crap for a week like it makes you wonder if it's just more profitable for people to stay sick well of course i mean there's we know definitely that. more yeah there's stuff going to rehab the uh they, they charge a thousand dollars a day for 90 days while i was in rehab to the to the state for um for uh you know the treatment and there's and they and when they you know when they're running them through you know the state's getting all this funding and there's a bunch of people with their hands in the in the, in the cookie jar um yeah there's there's no there's no there's no profit in in the cure you know no profit in the cure um but i don't i don't think that's the whole picture i have more of a um optimistic view than you know thinking that it's just these old guys sitting around with cigars and and all the money pounding their fists on the table figuring out how to keep everybody down i don't i don't i don't i don't have that world view um do i think that there's people that are working in their own best interest yeah um yeah and i also think that um, there's enough compassion of people and enough of an awakening that's happening now that uh, some of these things are going to become available a lot faster than they would have 30 years ago because of the stranglehold that the you know the the select few had on 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 the on the world. You know, we're, a lot of people are waking up and and becoming aware of some of these misalignments. And the more like shadows, shadows, they, 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 they disappear when you shine the light on them and and enough people wake up enough people like stand up and say, no, this is not okay. Um, Eventually they're going to be afraid of losing their positions in those big houses in Washington. And they're going to have to represent their constituents versus their own special interests or else they're going to be gone. Yeah. Sorry for the, no, no, I appreciate it because I do still have a lot of black and white thinking and I do, you know, I just start thinking like the only explanation for why these things that can help so many people must be X, Y, Z. And that's not necessarily the case because, you know, like there are, you know, it is possible for you guys to practice because it's, it's, uh, it's not a, a psychedelic experience. It's actually a, I'll let you fill in the blank yeah. there. Yeah, we are a religious organization. It is a spiritual, you know, we're, we're a religious organization. Right. Um, and the medicine creates a spiritual, uh, mystical experience. Yeah. And um, if if a lot of this is disconnection with God, you know, like there's infinite paths to the light. You can do it with yoga, meditation, prayer. Christianity, you can you can do it with a million different things, a million different things. 
um, this, there, there also happens to be some like super highways that like are really effective. Christianity, I think, is one of them. I mean, I'm not a Christian, but I, I certainly love Jesus and the things that he says. And, you know, when I read the things that he says, I feel more, I understand more about like how I want to be. And that's a more connection with my inner spirit, right? Like that's a super highway for, for, um, for connection with God and connection with self. Yeah. Um, this is another one. Yoga is another big one. Meditation is another big one. These are super highways. Yeah. I learned in AA to look, it says to look, uh, look for where religious people are right. And once I started looking for where each of these things were right, it like opened it up to where I loved all of it. And I was like, I love that you, that you believe that and what's true in that for me. And it did open up the world. Yeah. Be quick to see religious people are right. Make use of what they have to offer. Page 87. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So is there, um, I mean, this is a, a spiritual experience that, that you're offering in a weekend setting, but then it, I mean, like for people that aren't necessarily in Maine, right. So if they went to like a weekend retreat, is there still like the opportunity to like, is there access to the integration to like make this or would that be more beneficial just for someone who's local to where you're at? I I host a weekly integration call every Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So every Tuesday evening, it's an open call. We have anywhere from, you know, 20 people to a hundred people on the call and we all support each other and the calls go for an hour to two hours, just depending on, you know, what people have to say. Uh, and we work together and we, and we support each other and we hold each other accountable and call each other on our stuff. And, um, and, uh, so the integration is, is open to literally anybody that's ever sat with plant medicines or, or considering sit, sitting with plant medicines, you know, I'm not really, not really excited about people coming to just be like a, you know, a spectator. Yeah. Uh, but, um, you know, hopefully people have enough respect for that. But, you know, if, if you went to an ayahuasca ceremony or a psilocybin ceremony in Wisconsin and there's no integration, just join our calls, just join our calls. And it's, it's, there's no cost ever. Um, they're free calls and they're going to go on as long as I, as long as the church is open, you know, even when the church was closed last year, while we were looking for a new place, those calls still continued. How challenging was that? Uh, I mean, people, uh, a couple of people picked up and, and, and carried the ball while I was, while I was tucked away and, and getting help, uh, until I was able to start doing it myself. Um, it was, uh, I mean, it wasn't hard because I was like, if the, if the call falls apart, it falls apart. I, I got to do this, Yeah. you know? So I didn't, I didn't allow it to be hard, It, it but it, you know, God took care of it. God handled it. You know, he's, uh, he's got a pretty good track record. And then you had a place to be and serve and do when you were ready. It wasn't even like, we can't do this without you. It was like, okay. This is here when you're able to come into it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was a miracle how this, how this, how we were able to get this, this location too. I mean, just miracle after miracle. I just, I can't even, but you know, four investors showed up with a total between the four of them of, uh, let's see, um, like, if you don't include the the loan on the house, um, if you don't include that, like two hundred and seventy thousand dollars, they 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 gave to an addict in in, in rehab. <laughs> in place, that's not you know a miracle. I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, they they you know they they believe in this so much, and um, you know they believe in me, and they believe in the medicine, and they trust the medicine, and. Um, and they're part of a weekly group we meet so that they can support with like helping me to make the right decisions and uh, keeping everything on track. But uh, yeah, they showed up like angels one after another. And then, 
yeah, I mean, it's just a miracle that we're in this place. And it's gorgeous. This place, we've got 40 private acres. There's um, a, a mile of frontage on a river right out back uh, in the backyard. And um, it's just tremendous here. It's just absolutely tremendous here. Yeah, I've showed it to my network of of friends here that I thought would be interested when I uh, when we booked our call together. And they were like, oh, yeah, we need to go there. <laughs> it's gorgeous. So I will include a link uh, to your site so people can just see what you're talking about because it looks amazing. And I do want to tell you, I believe in you. Like we just met, but just talking to you and just hearing what you've been through and you would just, you have this, just this peace about you and just this love and this compassion that just comes through. And and I feel like, like you said, it's just from crawling over broken glass through glass through the gates of hell, basically, and uh, making it to the other side Mm -hmm. and then dedicating your life to sharing the gifts that you've found. Yeah, I don't don't think I don't think anything brings me greater joy than to hear. And I, I talked about I talk about this all the time, right? Friday is like Christmas Eve. And uh, every Friday of retreat is like Christmas Eve, right? Everybody's coming in, their heads are down, they're nervous, they're looking around, they're freaked out about what's about to happen, et cetera, et cetera, right? And they're just, they're just not, they're just not, uh, you know, they're not, um, sure what's going to happen. Uh, and then Sunday, you've got them like just beaming with love and tears pouring out of their, their their eyes when they're talking about you know like their 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 stepfather who like they came in here so mad at and they're just talking about how like this these massive turnarounds and then I get called like I get pulled aside on Sunday and was like yeah like thank you so much uh, you know there's a gun sitting on my nightstand that I was going to use if this didn't work and I'm and like like not like there's kids have who have called me and thanked me because of how much this helped their parents and literally like nothing gives me greater joy i work it's not even work like i just get up and i do things so that that can happen i i I just i do i love it so i love it so much like I, i can't imagine doing anything else so what what is it that you would want anyone out there struggling to know, be it with alcoholism, be it with life, be it with themselves, what would you want to tell people that are listening? No matter what you think you matter, you matter. And there is help. There's a lot of people and a lot of resources that want to help and asking for help is strength and not weakness. You know, I was, I had, I had to ask for help. I was, I was suffering. I was caught. I was, I was in a wash cycle. I, I, I was right. I was, I was writing uh, mentally writing my suicide note because I was going to kill myself the day that somebody showed up to bring me to rehab. Um, it doesn't matter how far down the down the what is it how far down the the ladder you've gone it doesn't matter how like how far down your bottom is right now it doesn't matter it doesn't matter you do matter you know and um there is help there is a different way and as scary as it is as hard as it might seem uh it all is worth it it all is worth it the obsession will be lifted, um, you know, and, and people, people, their whole life is wrapped around their passion and joy for helping you. Like they want to help you more than they want to breathe. They want to help you more than they want to eat food. They love it. And so showing up so that they can actually fulfill their dharma, their like, life purpose will make them happy will make them happy and your family too you matter that's perfectly said 
And that is the purpose of this podcast is just to let people know that they matter, that they are not alone. We've been there. We all have a different experience, but we somehow still know what the other one is talking about. Despite a totally different life cycle, that that hopelessness and that pain, we felt it too. And we get to live a life that, you know, isn't, it's not just constant pain. There are hard days and there are good days, but none of them are as bad as, as, you know, as it was. And there is a life on the other side of what you're experiencing right now. So Derek, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. I really appreciate uh, you coming on here, you talking to us, sharing what you're doing. I do want to get your links so that I can include those in the show notes so that people can uh, can get access to you and uh, hopefully reach out and get something going. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. This was great. I love conversations like this. Yes, it's my pleasure. And um, for those of you listening, if there's any questions that you have feel free to reach out to me at the sober bartender podcast on instagram on youtube at the sober bartender or on facebook in the sober bartender facebook group if you have any questions for Derek, i will include his contact info so please reach out he's putting you know he's putting the hand out there out there feel free to reach out and grab onto that give him a call hop on that call me literally and you can actually, I'm going to leave my number. You can literally call me if you're struggling, if you just want to talk. I'm going to leave my number. You can reach me on. Call me. Thank you so much. All right.